Welcome in. This is the Blue Ribbon SEC Basketball Podcast, along with Chris Lee of Blue Ribbon. I'm Kevin Ingram. We are thrilled to have you with us as we talk about Southeastern Conference basketball, preview a couple teams, and talk about some of the uh, the topics that are uh, right at the top of the list. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing well, and it is always fun to be talking basketball. We got Blue Ribbon off our plates last week. Uh, that's really whetted my appetite for some basketball, and uh Looking forward to talking about some of it with you today. Yeah, I know this uh, I, for for Chris Dorch and for everybody who's associated with that project. I, I'm sure when he hits send on that thing and 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 send it on to the printer, that it's probably the biggest sigh of relief of the entire season. It is, and this is the fourth year I've been part of it, and it's one of these things that as soon as it's done, you you kind of take the victory lap, like you have. Um, if you've ever mowed the lawn and liked the way it looked and kind of sat back and admired it. <laughs> That's kind of the way you feel when you get this thing off to the printer, and Chris has sent me the PDF of it. It's been fun to go and look through that and see what some other guys wrote, and I'll just file this away under shameless promotion for the book, but uh, people out there are listening and don't get it, I really hope they do, because if you've never gotten a copy of the book, you don't know what you're missing. As far as the Blue Ribbon forecast for the Southeastern Conference, Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama, LSU, Florida are the top five in the preseason rankings. We'll give you a little preview there for what's coming in Blue Ribbon. That sounds about right, but who knows how those teams that make up that middle group in the conference are going to perform this season. Yeah, and Kevin, it was really that kind of that way last year because you had, what, one, two, three, four, five, six teams between 12 and 6 and 10 and 8, and then you go, Nine and nine, eight and ten, a couple of seven and elevens. Uh, there was really a lot of balance in the league, and I, I think I've said this on another podcast. If the forecasters are right for this season, it shapes up a lot like the Big Ten did last year. Although I guess you did have Michigan State a preseason Final Four pick, if not number one. But Big Ten last year had a lot of teams that were really good, maybe not one or two or three seeds. But it had a lot of teams that probably would have gotten to the NCAA tournament had it been played. And if you listen to the prognosticators, it sounds like that's going to be the same for the SEC. And to me, that's a lot of fun, Kevin. That means night to night, sure. you don't know who's going to win. You've got a lot of competitive matchups. You've got a lot of reasons to tune in on TV. And I think I'm really excited about this season in the SEC for that, if for nothing else. It's going to be an 18-game schedule starting December 29th and 30th, 20 dates for the games with two open dates, and then the the SEC Big 12 Challenge mixed in there. So you, you hope and keep your fingers crossed that, that they can get all this in, get the season done, play all 18 games, and then move on to, to postseason play. Who knows how it's all going to play out, but uh, it sounds good on paper, at least starting at the end of December. Yeah, I think at this point we're ready for anything that's not on paper because we just had six months of that's all we had. So I don't know about you, but I've always appreciated college basketball, but I think I appreciate things more now that we've lost them for little stages here and there. And I cannot imagine the thought of two straight years without the NCAA tournament. I think a lot of people are thinking that as well. Yeah, I don't think, uh, barring just some catastrophe, they're going to play an NCAA tournament. I don't know how it's going to look or if it's going to be sort of, you know, the, the traditional way of doing it or if it'll be some sort of pod or bubble system, but they're going to figure out a way you get the feeling because there's just too much money involved. I mean, not having it one year was a gigantic hit for a lot of people, but not having it two years in a row would be just totally devastating, especially for you know, a lot of teams outside of the, the, the high major level. 
Chris, any feel for when you think we'll start to get the schedules in place? It seems like so much depends on what power conference schools do and, and just how those MTE events uh, take shape. Yeah, I haven't really dialed in on that topic lately. I've been a little more focused on football the last week or two. But last I talked and last I looked, you did see some schools starting to release little portions on their websites and things like that. I, I checked in on the Vanderbilt Inn here in town and was told, uh, we should see something at some point in October. We're getting to the midpoint of that. You know, the question I have is how aggressively did some of these teams schedule? Because I know some teams were worried that they might not be able to play a schedule at all till it got to conference season. I do wonder how many teams will take that approach. So, um, you know, that's going to be interesting to watch and see how these roll out. I think one of the events uh, or two have, have come out in the last few days. So those are always fun to watch as well. But, I guess that's really the next phase of the preseason of the schedule watching and seeing what that looks like. And this year, of course, is a completely different dynamic than we've ever had before. We should get some clarity, or may anyway, this week on what happens on the NCAA decision regarding an extra year of eligibility for winter sport athletes. Where do you come down on that whole thing? You know, I was talking to a major college coach in another sport. I'll leave this guy unnamed, but he said to me, at some point, you just kind of have to move on with life and, and, and go through. And, and sometimes that things are tough. And the example this person used is that Ted Williams lost a good part of his career to wars and things like that. Yeah. And I thought he had a good point. Um, and I can follow on the other side of this. I've got a nephew who plays football at Wyoming. He's a fifth-year senior. He's a walk-on. He has earned a scholarship. He is now starting, and he's had a lot of his season cut short by this. So I understand both ends because it creates a lot of problems for roster log jams and scholarship allocations. And it's not just this year and next. It's a four- to five-year deal. But on the other hand, I understand the kids that get squeezed out that have worked for this opportunity, uh, that they don't get another year, and this was going to be their year. So I, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough thing for me to take her side on. It's going to be interesting, and we apply this to the Southeastern Conference, certainly. Interesting to see which teams, Chris, benefit the most from the transfer portal. And, you know, a couple of the teams we're going to preview here in just a moment uh, certainly are affected by that, uh, one of them being Kentucky. But, you know, that it it seems like it's a different year in that respect, too, and that you've had lots and lots of player movement. You've had these decisions that seem to be all over the map from uh, either the NCAA or the conferences on who's going to be eligible and who's not, who's going to get those waivers. So that part of it for this coming season is really going to be a huge factor, it seems. Yeah, it's like April and May have become what December and January are to baseball. Um, when it's, it's almost, as one coach called it, free agency and seeing who hits the wires and <laughs> But, I mean, at least in baseball, you know what's coming. You know what contracts are and when a guy's contract year is up. So, you know, and, and you see it really wreck teams' rosters. I feel bad for a lot of the mid-majors. It's, we will get into some transfers that have come from some places uh, that aren't at the top of the pecking order, but the rising leagues of the world. Uh, those are the schools that you feel sorry for because those coaches went out and, and got those players and worked hard to recruit them and found them where no one else did. Uh, but on the SEC side of things, um, I know here in our part of the country, we, we sure look forward to seeing a lot of those kids play. All right, let's preview a couple of teams. I, I like to do this each time we do a, an SEC basketball podcast, pick out a couple teams and, and go a little more of a deep dive. Uh, today we'll do Florida and Kentucky. Let, let's start with the Gators. They were 19-12 and 12 last season. They tied for fourth in the SEC at 11-7. and seven. 
Mike White has three starters back. He wants to play a little faster with Andrew Nemhard and, and uh, Kerry Blackshear now gone. And feels like this could be one of his most athletic teams. So, Chris, one of the things they're going to have to do is, is work on the depth and develop those players uh, that they need. Yeah, and, and Mike White has talked about how they're athletic and he likes his team this year. They do have a couple of transfers, uh, as you mentioned. You know, one issue that Florida has had in past years is just shooting the three-pointer. I mean, Florida teams, whether it's Billy Donovan or Mike White, you can always count on those teams to defend. Um, and it gets a little bit harder when you lose your point guard, as Florida did, to Gonzaga. So I'm really anxious to see if this is a year where the Gators can shoot the basketball a little bit better because that's really been where they've been lacking in recent years, Kevin. They return two-year starters in uh, Keontae Johnson, who is a uh, preseason all-conference and Blue Ribbons preseason player of the year in the league average 14 points and seven rebounds they have shooting guard Noah Lockback average 10 points per game but you know White feels like uh, Keontae Johnson's best is still ahead of him he wants some more in the uh, leadership and all-around game departments and he also likes uh, Locke's toughness and does feel like he's a good leader for this group so you know a couple of those starters are experienced guys who uh, know what they're doing and and probably uh, are on an upward trajectory when you look at this coming season. Yeah, and throw Scotty Lewis in there, too, who was a freshman All-American or a McDonald's All-American two years ago. Uh, They like his athleticism and they like his defense. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see how those three guys mesh. They've got a kid named Omar Payne in the middle that really finished last season strong. He's got a seven-foot-six wingspan. That always helps your defense. Yes, it does. Yeah, you you look at the parts they've got, and, and again, I don't know that this is – you go back and look at the Joachim Noah teams and how they had a Lee Humphrey who was an outside sniper and the, the parts really fit together well. I don't know if it's one of those teams, but uh, Mike White does seem to have some things in the tool shed there. They should have some pretty good options at point guard with Mann and Glover. They have Cleveland State transfer Tyree Appleby, who's eligible after he sat out last year. And Chris, one of the things I, I wonder, though, is can they get enough done inside trying to replace Blackshear? Uh, you mentioned Omar Payne. He might be their best option guy who showed some potential last season. So there, there are some question marks at different positions. Yeah, and, of course, it's not the game we grew up with. You don't need a scoring big inside the way that you used to, although he finished the year with 19-11 and 11 against Auburn. So that's a good sign. Um, yeah, I think that's interesting. You mentioned Appleby. That's a kid that averaged 17 and almost six assists at Cleveland State and shot nearly 40% from three. You know, one other thing that I look at with this team is you've got some good foul shooters. Um, if you can space the floor and get to the line, yep. uh, Keontae Johnson shot 77% last year. Appleby was a 78% shooter uh, at his last stop. Scotty Lewis was an 82% shooter last year. So, we don't spend a lot of time talking about free-throw shooting, but that's one little thing that Florida, I think, has got uh, that could win it some games down the road. One more question on Florida before we move on. Going into a sixth year, how much pressure do you think is on Mike White, who really had a, a difficult job in trying to replace Billy Donovan a few years ago? You know, I don't know. I mean, White's teams have always been good, and that was the same thing at Louisiana Tech. I don't think he made an NCAA tournament, but they were always right there. And and you look at the last five in the Kim Palm rankings. They were 35, 5, 22, 26, 32. That's an NCAA tournament caliber team every year, and that's a thing that people don't really value until they lose it. Uh, I'll give you an example. It's Connecticut. Um, I know Connecticut fans – you know, got used to winning national titles and going to Final Fours, and they made a coaching change a couple years ago. And I'm not saying that was the wrong thing to do, 
but now Connecticut has trouble just getting to the tournament. My, my point to say this is I think that being consistently good is really underrated. Uh, Florida's been consistently good, and as Kevin Brockaway pointed out in our Florida preview, Billy Donovan didn't win a national title till his 10th year. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying Mike White is Billy Donovan, uh, but he's a highly regarded coach. He did really well at Louisiana Tech. And Conference USA is not a bad league. So I'm not exactly sure what I think of Mike White at this point, uh, but I would like to note that he has been consistently really good. Uh, and, and who knows, maybe the, maybe the peak is coming a couple of years down the road, uh, but I'm certainly not willing to cut bait on him if I'm Florida, if they have, say, just another OK season at this point. He's Chris Lee. I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the SEC Basketball Podcast, or Blue Ribbon Podcast. Let's talk about Kentucky and preview the Wildcats. 25-6 and six last season, won the SEC regular season championship. Of course, didn't get to play the uh, tournament. But, again, it's a whole new group for John Calipari. He's lost all five starters. His uh, assistant, Kenny Payne, went to the Knicks. This unusual offseason, do you think maybe this might be uh, Cal's biggest challenge since he's been there? You know, I, I think that's basically one of the things he said. Um, and, and look, it's when you lose five starters in the NBA, right? It's a reset for basically anybody. But we've seen this at Kentucky before, and it's a little weird to see them not in everybody's top ten. I think we've got them twelve or thirteen. Uh, I've seen them a lot lower in some other rankings. But you look at the talent he's brought in. He brings in a couple of of top ten wings out of high school. He got a point guard. Um, who declared a year early that would have been that type of player, too. Uh, they get a couple of transfers. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised, given Kentucky's pedigree, how low the Wildcats have been yeah. in, in preseason polls. And, and, look, usually the experts know something of what they speak, so I, I'm not knocking the forecast. It's just <laughs> interesting because we, we've seen Kentucky reload time and time and time again. And at the end of the season, they're in the Final Four and winning the SEC and all those things. So it's really interesting to me to see this dynamic to where Kentucky does reload with McDonald's All-Americans, but nobody has them quite where they've been in the past. Six freshmen. Guards should be good to go. Freshman uh, shooting guards Terrence Clark and B.J. Boston. you got point guard uh, Devin Askew, who's a five-star out of high school. Plus you have the uh, the senior point guard Davion Mintz, who's a transfer from Creighton. How much do you feel like his experience might be able to help that group when you have those first-year players coming in and, again, with without the some of the off-season work they would have normally had? You know, one of the things I hear from coaches, and more or less, is that you can't have enough point guards. You, you hear coaches wanting to talk about having two or three point guards on the floor at once. I think that's an interesting thing. So I think getting an experienced kid like Davion Mintz is a good ad for them. Uh Injuries, of course, uh, you get a guy hurt, you always need a guy. But, you know, one of the knocks on Kentucky, and I think that the last time the Cats won a national title, it had some sophomore and junior starters. And it seems like you can win a lot of games with that kind of talent, but it's really hard to win without a junior or senior in there somewhere. I wonder if this is the kind of year that at the end of the year, if Kentucky, say, is cutting down the nets or going to a Final Four, we look back on it and say, hey, that's where having a really experienced guard helped that team. As far as uh, other experience returning, Keon Brooks, the sophomore forward, is the only returning player who's 
scored in a Kentucky game. Uh, he's expected to have a breakout season, played 31 games, had six starts last year, had that really nice performance in their comeback win against Florida at the end. But one of the big questions inside, Chris, is what happens with Olivier Saar. You know, I talked about how it's really weird to see Kentucky uh, 12 or 13 or so in the rankings, but that maybe everybody's edging on what happens with that one. Because if they get Olivier Saar, that gives them the big man presence inside. And, and frankly, Kevin, you know as well as I do, an impactful seven-footer who can score and dominate on the boards is probably the rarest of commodities in basketball right now. Yeah. Kids also experienced he will be a senior. Uh, I think you bring a kid who played in the ACC and was a third-team all-league player, a kid who I talked to coaches out of high school. That was a kid that a lot of coaches really loved and, and thought he was a future NBA player. Uh, of course, he's a French kid. And then he goes to Wake, and it doesn't really happen for him right away. So sometimes you see bigs develop later. This is a kid who is really starting to peak as he left Wake Forest. And I think getting him eligible if he is and, and playing, that might be the difference in them being where they are and being where they usually are this time of year. You know, it's funny. Every year, John Calipari in Kentucky, they, they reload. They bring in a whole new collection of players. And it, it takes some time, more time than others, uh, some years more than others, but by by the time you get to the important part of the season, it always seems like they're starting to find their way in and meshing it and playing well, doesn't it? it? It does, and you tend to think of Kentucky as a team that sort of peaks late and, and peaks in the NCAA tournament, and yeah, that's happened a few times. I can think of a Final Four team seven or eight years ago where they did that, but let's not forget, Kentucky won the league last year. It won it in 17, it won it in 16, it won it in 15. So we're really not that far removed from a program. Uh, well, I mean, we're not removed at all. Kentucky won the season last <laughs> year. But it's interesting to note that I, I think we tend to look at that team as a, as a team that really peaks in postseason. You don't want to play them then. But I think what John Calipari has done in the regular season has been a little bit underrated, too. Chris, uh, what's on the docket for you? What do you have coming up? Uh, I know, man, you work hard. You're all over the place. What's going on? Well, I will um, be doing some stuff for Blue Ribbon in the coming weeks. I'm working on a Hidden Gems series where we're going to be go looking into some programs that, that you may not think about when you think of, of the best programs in college basketball in their particular leagues. Two that I'm eyeing are South Dakota State and Vermont. I tend to dig in on those. Uh, looking for a few more programs that, that sort of dominate their leagues and have some interesting stories. But I think we'll call that series The Hidden Gems, and we'll have that coming up at the Blue Ribbon Yearbook newsletter pretty soon. I, I think I'll have mine out in a couple of weeks. We should remind folks, uh, if you want to uh, enjoy all the content you can see on the uh, the Blue Ribbon Report, in fact, you can have it delivered you know, right to your inbox every week. Just go to blueribbon.substack.com. You can sign up there. You can see a little preview. You can uh, listen to our podcast. So, Chris, it's, it's fun to think about the season not being that far away now with practices uh, starting to get rolling here in the next few days. But, you know, get the actual the feel for some uh, some on-court work for these players and, and get a little closer to actually playing basketball again. It just seems like it's it's been a, a long time since we've seen any, any of these teams actually on the floor. Yeah, yeah it has. And I re- reiterate again, uh, the league, we have seen this in past years. This is a lot of the, the time where people saying the SEC is back and, seems like they've disappointed us two or three years. But I think the experts are higher on this league on the whole than they have been in four or five years. And, and again, we live in SEC country, so we get to see those games on TV several times a week. And I, I think as much as anything, 
I'm just looking forward to seeing that and seeing those guys night in and night out and just seeing the battle for the SEC, which I think uh, is going to be really fiercely contested this year. He's Chris Lee. I'm Kevin Ingram. This has been the Blue Ribbon SEC Basketball Podcast. Chris, always great. We'll talk to you soon, man. Yeah, thank you so much. And we appreciate everybody tuning in. We'll talk to you next time.